You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Chad Roberson. Chad is a Texas native, Southern University alum, and vice president in wealth management at Momentum Advisors, a minority-owned financial planning and investment advisory firm. With over a decade of experience in financial services, Chad helps individuals develop a holistic financial plan focused around their long-term goals. And I can tell you, he knows what he's doing. But Chad has worked really hard to become an expert in his field. During our conversation, we talk about his Texas roots and his journey into the cutthroat world of investment banking, where unfortunately, not all HBCUs are well known. Chad talks overcoming implicit and explicit biases, having to fill his knowledge gap, and even spending his personal funds to recruit at his alma mater when his former employer would not. Chad is what you call a true champion of diversity and continues to make strides in an industry where we are still severely outnumbered. So without further ado, please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Chad, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Very excited. I I think this is going to be a good one. We had a really good prep call um, as well. And I love I love a talkative person. So (laughs) it just makes for a better interview. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the things I guess you could say I was blessed with (laughs) is uh, the ability to talk and I would say connect with Mm -hmm. people. Um, And that's something that I I love to do. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. Tell me, who is Chad Roberson? Who is Chad Roberson? You should probably ask my mother, but um, I would say Chad Roberson is a God-fearing man first, um, a father, a husband, a brother, um, someone who's passionate about his community, someone who is passionate about uh, wealth, generational wealth, um, financial literacy, um, and all about change and just pushing forward. So um, that is who Chad Roberson is and what Chad Roberson is passionate about. And there's a lot to unpack there. There is. There is a lot. (laughs) So um, I personally believe that when somebody does have passion for community and creating generational wealth, that is driven by something, either their past experience, their family dynamic, where they grew up. There was a seed that was planted, I I think. So what drove you to that point of being focused and interested uh, on those things? Yeah, it really was family. Mm -hmm. Um, I come from a wonderful, loving, fairly large family. And one of the things that I realized growing up was money and wealth was never a topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it was brought up, it was kind of very hazy or it was um, not something that people wanted to discuss. And so we never really understood what was going on when it comes to finances. But I think as I grew older and understood kind of personal finances, I realized that um, even though I felt like we, my sisters and I lived a great life, my mother struggled from Mm -hmm. time to time. And, you know, I think we talked about she brought Peter to pay Paul. Mm -hmm. She she would say it and we've heard those phrases, but I really started to understand what that meant. And then I realized so many other families uh, were going through the same thing. And so as I've gotten older, understood finances and, and wealth a little bit differently, I realized a lot of it, some of it is just a lack of education, mm-hmm. a lack of exposure. And so what kind of drew me into that and wanting to help others create generational wealth is is to share that. 
learn what I've um, take what I've learned and basically kind of impart that back not only to my family, but the community. So looking back to your childhood, where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas. Grew up in Dallas. Yeah, I grew up in Dallas in a, in, um, in a suburb outside of Dallas called Garland, Texas. Garland, Texas. How many sisters? I have two. I'm the middle. I have okay. an older sister S- and a younger sandwiched sister. Between, I'm sandwiched between two girls. Yes, I'm sandwiched. And I have a couple stepbrothers, too. Okay. And a half brothers. Yeah. So I have a pretty decent sized family, but I grew up with my sisters. Okay. So grew up with your sisters, watching your mom, mm-hmm. you know, rob Peter to pay Paul. And so many of us know what that dynamic is. Yeah. Back then, was it just, you know what, I'm going to go to school so that I don't have to struggle? Or when did that light bulb go off for you that was like, no, I'm going to learn money and help my community as well? Yeah, I honestly believe it was probably, you know, in college. Mm-hmm. I really started to take, um, you know, I went, I played football for a little bit. You know, it was always my thing. I was football, football, football. And then when I actually, one of my professors kind of pulled me aside to kind of really get me together so in addition to my mom. And then I kind of started to look at my family dynamics from there and just saying, hey, you know, I'm a finance major, economics. I need to take this a little bit more seriously. And then from there, I kind of started to evaluate what was going on with my family, finances, where were we? You know, I was asking my mom questions. didn't really know. She had no insight. And I, you know, I was like, yo, we, we kind of have to change that. You know, I really want to make sure that I know what I know so I can help my mom, you know? And I think from there, it kind of really started fuel the fire, you know, started having other conversations with other people in my family, the community and like, Hey, I don't know those things. So really, you know, focus. And I would say probably the thing that really was like the nail was after I played football for a little bit, I, when I got a job at the bank as a teller, the, the support that I had from the ladies in the branch, mm-hmm. like I would literally study, have my books in the drive through window. And when a canister would come in, they would tell me, no, you need to understand finance. Wow. You need to be able to teach us and teach the community. So I'll grab this and cash this check while you study for your exam. That That's was amazing. probably the, the biggest thing where like people were then pushing me to mm-hmm. learn to so I can go and give back. So you went to Southern. I did. SU, Southern so. Jaguars. Yes. I I, um, I know a, a few people who come through seven. Y'all y'all ride hard for we your do school, ride hard like for super, blue. Hard super hard, super hard. Um, so you major in finance and economics. Mm-hmm. What was your immediate plan? Like when I get out, I want this job. <laughs> My immediate plan was football. Okay, and and then like I said, from that it kind of shifted. But once it shifted to really focus more on academics and then job life after school, mm-hmm. I just honestly thought that. You know, I was going to be a, the youngest branch manager. Okay. Um, at the time, um, I was working at a fairly large bank, and they had just created kind of a, a a program which would take someone from kind of a support, an assistant branch manager, you know, a banker, and then ultimately a branch manager. And I was would have been a part of that first class, mm-hmm. so I would have finished out and been a branch manager probably at twenty three. Okay. Twenty two, twenty three. Um, that was the goal. That mm-hmm. was it. Yeah, I figured I would probably do that either directly in Baton Rouge or move back to Dallas. So you didn't have the your sights set on, I want to work at an investment bank or uh, a wealth management firm. Nope. I'm just going to do this commercial, you know, consumer nope. banking thing. Nope. That, that all changed. I took a risk and in insurance class mm-hmm. um, my senior year, which was a, a class that was once a week from six to nine. And a, and a gentleman named Kevin Noblock, he was a wealth advisor. Uh, at this particular bank and he'd been doing it for 20 years. And so, um, 
he he was he was a white guy, older white guy, lived, had done his career, was doing really well, and he just had some free time. I asked him like, "Why did you want to teach at you know at our school?" And he was the first person to expose me to what we call the core side mm-hmm. of wealth management, right? So most people, when they think of banking and finance, they typically think of the the retail side. Oh, I can go into a branch or I can talk to this personal banker, but they don't really know in terms of the investment banking right. or the, you know, the private banking or asset management. So he was the one who exposed me to that. And he's basically said, it's like, hey, if this is something you want to learn about, I need you to come to my office downtown on Mondays and Fridays. Really? At Yeah. Right. At eight o'clock. A.M.? A.M. Okay. That's like <laughs> right? the two worst days to do anything at 8 a.m., especially for college kids. Yeah, especially <laughs> because, it, but he knew my schedule. Mm-hmm. So he knew that I, I had the time. I had classes later. So if I was serious about understanding this this area that I would I would come. And I did. I was very serious. Um, and so he was the one that kind of really exposed me and kind of helped nurture me. So, and he's, he's still there to this day. We have a great great relationship. Well, first of all, it's, it's powerful that, you know, someone who's probably like an adjunct professor, exactly. you know, who, in adjuncts, anybody who's had them knows they've got to come in, come in do, their and thing, do their thing and that's it. They're gone. Uh, but for him to take an interest in you and invest in you in that consistent way to educate you um, and give you that that breadth of knowledge that you may not have had otherwise. What did you do with that information once you had it? I'm sure it changed your view on what your career could be. No, definitely. And that's one thing I'm extremely thankful and proud of. And I try to impart on every one else is I asked him like how can I ever pay you back and he just said just do the same thing for someone else mm-hmm. so take that chance on that next chat that comes through the door or that reaches out. And so over the years, you know, he taught a little bit more or he would run, you know, you know, people would reach out to him mm-hmm. and he knew he was kind of getting more and focusing more in terms of his practice, but Chad may be a great person mm-hmm. to connect with. So people would reach out and I would just do the same. Because so he helped you grow your business. He helped me grow my business. He helped me. We would talk about like these are what I'm going through in terms of my career. Um, sometimes he helped me stay put in terms of not making any hasty career decisions. But he really took an interest in me. And so therefore, the way he took an interest in me is what I try to do for other young people who are coming up in this industry. Because it's t- we historically haven't had a bunch of African-Americans, black folk, right. you know, go into true wealth management. And he was the first person to tell me in his office that you will probably run into a lot of resistance. He told you that he told as a white this, man. As a he white said, man. listen, this is the real. Yeah. But prior to that, he asked me, how candid do you want me to be with you? Mm-hmm. Right. So the things that you need to be able to do is to make sure you consistently look someone in the eye when you talk to them. Make sure you don't go off and veer into thought. Make sure you're always prepared. Make sure you're always having your points. Make sure you always have follow up questions for people to know that you're engaged. He taught me all of these things. It was like after our first meeting. I mean, I have this guy beat me up, right? Mm-hmm. He really had me going, like, man, I thought I was doing good. And he right. told me I needed to work on. But um, to to this day, he will tell you, I thought Chad would never come back after that first <laughs> meeting. But I came back and I came back and I came back and I got better and I got better. And, and therefore, like now we have this relationship to where as I am, where I am in my professional career, I understand exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I understand everything. We're kind of quote unquote peers. And so, you know, we're bouncing ideas off of each other and how we're servicing our clients. But now he's like, he's happy because, wow, I've seen this 
this kid from not knowing anything about right. wealth management, not knowing anything, to being able to basically service his clients the way that I'm servicing mine. What is powerful about this story and worthy of note um, is, for me, it's what being an ally looks like. Because a lot of people yeah. like to say, you know, I'm I'm not racist. I'm, you know, I'm, all, I'm down for all support people. I have black friends, you know, all yeah. this other stuff. And that, that is great. But he took it a step further, two steps for, further, because not only did he offer insight to you, he said, I will consistently educate you if you can show up here. But the ultimate, to me, the ultimate sign of being an ally is that he sent business to you. Yeah, he would, he would. That is probably um, the thing that I really cared about the most mm -hmm. was that, you know, he believed in me. Mm -hmm. Like he just didn't say or do. He followed through with action mm -hmm. on his side. And I think that was just over the years of just building. Right. You know, it's layers. You know, sure. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. You know, he has, you know, three kids of his own. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not too much younger than I am. So, you know, he could easily say, I need to focus on my own children. Right. right. But, you know, invite me over to his home. You know, I met his family and he would just encourage me just as way that he would encourage his, his own children who all happen to go into finance mm -hmm. as well. Right. And so the information that he's giving them, he also supported me. I mean, this is a person, like I said, like, you know, you're I met in college. Mm -hmm. This man was at my wedding. Like wow. I invited him and I highlighted him and what he's done for me at my wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, because he, he just created an impact. You know, I watched him as how he handled, you know, his relationship with his wife. I watched him how he handled his relationship with his children, how he handled his relationship with his clients. And the things that he told me, particularly around finance, is what I hold true today. Mm -hmm. You know, never do anything outside of character. Always understand, have your moral compass. Always do what's right for your clients. These are the things that I, I do now, but I learned from watching him in mm -hmm. his office and having difficult conversations with clients and what does that look like? And, and so on and so forth. And so I remember asking him, like, how did you do this? How did you do that? And he would share. And he just told me over the years, it helped him because as we would have conversations, it would just help him remember things and how much he cared about the business, how much impact that he can actually make. And so he, since gotten on other boards, he's become that much more involved in the community. And so those are the things I look at, like, I want to be, be able to do mm -hmm. with that too. Absolutely. And so and he was the one also encouraged to learn this information and impart it on someone else, particularly those that look like you. He understood that there was, a, you know, a need for this information within our community, too, because sure. that was the reason why he decided to teach at a historically black college versus teaching at LSU, which is also his, impressive, where his children went. Mm -hmm. Right. He said he wanted to make sure that that information was coming, you know, across town, which I thought was very impressive. Right. And so, um. You know, I'm very excited about that. And I, I whenever I get a chance to speak about my career, I always acknowledge the person I always acknowledge him is because he kind of really set the ball rolling for me. And it's it's not only impressive, it's rare. Very rare. It is rare. Very rare. I think too often within this space, you look for an ally that looks like you. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that ally may not look like you, may not be in your community, but they have that same passion. They want to see someone else succeed. Right. right. And so sometimes you got to be, you know, um, mindful. And you also have to be aware what someone's trying to do, mm -hmm. too. And they're, they're, not everyone is that allies. Oh, you know, they, they, he or she really don't care. Like, no, sometimes they really do. 
For sure. They really want to see you be successful. So how did that information and that training and support and referrals and everything, how did that help your career to flourish? Or maybe how did that drive you to a pivot within your career trajectory? Yeah. So the biggest thing in terms of for me was just trying to gain experience and knowledge. Right. So, you know, he pushed me to New York in addition to my mother. Um, and so I, I moved to New York. I wanted to be the best. You know, it was either here or London. And my mother said no to London. So I came um, and decided, like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, crazy enough is the traditional personal wealth management space was closed. Mm-hmm. So my entry point was delayed a little bit. So I went the investment banking route. I went the other routes because I didn't have that direct access. And so it became a little frustrating. And so I was like, I'm going to leave this institution. But he was the one that said, no, stay, get your experience, because each position you have is take something from it. It's going to you'll you'll have something to take, either be servicing, either be product, either be some sort of markets knowledge. Take it, build upon it. And when your opportunity comes, you'll be prepared. And so I think through all of that kind of helped me prepare in terms of honing in to true traditional personal wealth management. Mm-hmm. So I took my retail experience from working with people in the branch level, right? The everyday person, I need to cash a check. Don't close down the, the you know, the, the bank. Yeah, I got it's Friday, <laughs> you know, having that compassion, that customer service. So building that, that being able to connect with people and sure. relate. And then I took that and then I went into the, you know, the wealth management space in terms of supporting and understanding in terms of the different, um, you know, asset levels within a portfolio and what is a a portfolio? How do you build an investment Mm -hmm. portfolio? So understanding the technicals. Then I went into the institutional side in terms of trading and understanding markets and how the markets really work. And so you look at all of that in terms of, I I knew where I ultimately wanted to be Mm -hmm. was helping people again and and their personal finances, but I didn't know which, how that was going to come out. And so all that kind of came. And so when I when I'm able to sit down with clients, I can talk from a wide array of experience and I can pretty much relate to almost everybody. And so that was some of the things I feel like I have an advantage over that some people just don't. Sure. And so, you know, that really just kind of just really steered my career. And so that's where, you know, in terms of how things played out now. OK, so so backing up, you moved to New York with the same entity that you were working for mm-hmm. uh, down south. OK, so you moved from retail you come yeah. here to New York. Yeah, they told me that I had made the biggest jump that anyone had ever made because I was coming from a retail space and no one had ever made that kind of jump into the core side. Of wow. The bank. So it was like I literally was went from, you know, eight, making eight dollars mm-hmm. an hour to sixty five thousand plus. And here's I'm glad you brought this up because people who are not familiar with this space yeah. don't understand that. Like they don't understand that you can go to school mm-hmm. and go be a personal banker you know, mm-hmm. at a chase or what have you, you have the degree where you're working as a teller or like you said, an assistant branch manager and the money you're making is yeah. not that it's great. not that great. You know, I tell people all the time and even it was amazing because when I, I would go back and mm-hmm. try to recruit and people like, you know, I want to become a banker in the branch and nothing against that too because obviously salaries are different and different things now but you know when you tell them like oh you can become a trader or Mm -hmm. oh you you can if you go investment banking or some of the other parts of finances and you know like you know you can make six figures right coming right out of school people like no you like that's impossible 
Like, no, you cannot. Mm-hmm. You, yes, you can. You really, you really can. And so, you know, I think you can't just look at finance in terms of from a general perspective, because, you know, that's why I was always a big advocate of those who are in the retail space right. and the branch get paid better. Like I was, I'm still an advocate for that because they do so much. Mm-hmm. And technically, they're always that first line that people experience for that, that whatever that institution is, right? You may not get to the investment bank, right. but you'll get to that teller first, right? And so they need to be compensated accordingly. But there's other parts of the financial spectrum that people can get exposure to that can pay them well, mm-hmm. you know, with the same degree that you're that the other person that might be in a different part of, you know, within the wealth management space or the banking space has too. Sure. And so I just think for me is exposing people to that, like going in, oh, it's not just about this part of banking. You also have this part. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you decide and you put the work and the effort and the time, you can be paid. So how did you create the opportunity to relocate? Right. Because I consider that retail side <laughs> very, very siloed. It's very different from, you know, yeah. for a business. So, so how did you create was, that opportunity I've for yourself? I've always been very aggressive, even dating back to my, you know, time in college. Like, so once I kind of got a, uh, a wake up call in school, like after football, you know, my my international finance professor, I came to class late. I showed up at 810, class was at 8 o'clock. He asked me to do a problem on the board because I always sat in the back. I walked in, I did the problem and went to the back of class. He told me to come see him. After class, um, I went to his office and he just talked about how disappointed he was in me in terms of my lack of effort. And um, he said, you know, that I'm a waste of talent. Wow. That was probably one of the most hurtful things I had heard in my entire college career. Um, he says that I was too focused on sports, that I wasn't focused on enough, that I could change the world if I focused more on school. So at that moment, I kind of just hung up the cleats, focused more on school and really just kind of took off, you know, took off from there. But, you know, th- that was just probably the thing I think that probably really triggered me, mm-hmm. you know, to really like make a change. Um mean everything. But you had asked me something else, too. Yeah. So how did you create the opportunity? So creating that opportunity after that, basically, um, I started to really look for different opportunities outside of the branch level. And I was very persistent. And so I was pretty involved, you know, with my college of business and trying to be like a student leader. So I had a lot of access. And so things would come and I would just apply, apply, Mm -hmm. apply. And so the position with the bank, um, they were recruiting. I sent my resume just as everyone else Mm -hmm. typically does. But I found a way to get the number of the recruiter. Right. And, you know, this is typically like the you don't do, you don't Mm -hmm. call the recruiter. But I called him. (laughs) I called him and I left a voicemail. And, um, you know, you can tell I'm from Texas. I have a (laughs) tell people you can tell by the way I talk. And so um, I left him a voicemail and he called me the same day. Ironically, he called the Brent when I was working and he asked to speak to me and he says, look, I got your resume and I heard your voicemail. You're the first person to actually call and leave a voicemail. And it was so it was so I was so, you know, taken back and and was so appreciative of it. I just had to call you back to to see what it was. And so from there, um, the recruiter took an interest, put my name in a hat. 
that role was closed. He advocated for me to get an opportunity to interview. And the long and short of it, I had never been to New York. Mm-hmm. I flew here, I interviewed, and I got the opportunity. And I continued just to kind of forge my way, you know. And so I was just not going to be denied, you know. And I had a couple hiccups along the way during the interviewing process, but I just persevered through it. Like, you know, I just knew, like, this is where I needed to be if I was going to be successful in this space. I was fearful. I had offers other places back at home in Dallas and New Orleans. But I felt like, you know, that would too comfortable for me mm-hmm. and I could maybe lose focus. And so I, going away to New York, not knowing one person was scary. I mean, if you ask my mother now, she was actually against it, <laughs> but she just knew that if she had to push me to go, she had to push me to go to be successful. So I would never regret it, like never regret it. And unfortunately, I have several friends who had opportunities elsewhere, mm-hmm. including New York, who didn't take those, who didn't take that leap. And to this day that I should have went to Hong Kong, I should have went to London, I should have went to New York, I should have went to Houston, like, you know, I should have went to California. Um, But life has gone and moved and those opportunities, the doors open and the doors closed. And so now they it's just a loss. And, you know, I just never wanted to be be that way. So, yeah. So I kind of created my own opportunity by being very aggressive Mm -hmm. and you have to be. And I think some of that is kind of just being thoughtful and being intentional. But after that, I just kept that mentality throughout my entire career. So it's one thing to create the opportunity and then it's another thing to be granted the opportunity and land in New York (laughs) as, you know, dude from the South. Right. So what was that transition like from being a, you know, a Dallas kid, went to Southern Uh, to now in New York City? It was very difficult. And this is being fully transparent, like Mm -hmm. very difficult because um, I became, you know, somewhat of a all star. Mm-hmm. At Southern, like in the College of Business, I was doing really well. I knew all the administration. Um, my grades were, you know, on, on the rise where they needed to be. You know, I'm working at the bank. Like everything was great. So I, you know, people give me a little pass mm-hmm. within, you know, the staff. And so when I moved to New York, things were fast, very fast. People walk fast. Everything like, is everything fast. Everything was here. fast. People were rude. Um, you know, no one said, excuse me. No one, people wouldn't get up on the train. You even got to <laughs> order your food, food quickly. Like, you know, it's, yeah, nobody you know, Get to the back to the line mm-hmm. if you don't know what you want to eat. And so I just remember, um, I came, you know, for the first three months was bad. You know, I didn't realize the cost of living. You know, I was looking at apartments. You know, if you know anything about New York, I ended up moving to Harlem. But I was looking at apartments in like Poughkeepsie. Like, I'm like, oh, like, it's, <laughs> this is really nice price. Like, I'm, I'm you know, Poughkeepsie like, though? I just didn't have a sense of like, like in terms of time and distance, mm-hmm. you know, because in terms of if distance wise in New York is not technically far. Right. But when you think of when you're driving, when mm-hmm. I drove to school every day, right? I'm like, look, you know, this, you know, a couple miles, 10 miles, 14 miles. Lord Jesus, it'll take me forever. People exactly. are like, well, do you not know where that is? It'll take you like three hours <laughs> to get to work. <laughs> and so I had to find a place, you know, so that was like a whole nother thing. And then, you know, getting to work, everyone was really smart. Everyone was really good. Um, I was one of the only few, I was the only person from my school. Mm-hmm. I was one of the only few HBCU graduates. Um, and it, I, to some extent, I felt like sometimes I was an afterthought because I, I wasn't okay. part of this initial recruited class. I was kind of like a, um, a special person that was put into a program. And so I would come home like my first couple of months and I would cry. 
Really? I would, I would literally cry and like pray and question like, did I make the right decision? Right? Like, I don't know anyone here. I have no family. My, I don't, I don't come from money, so I can't lean on anything. So I have to continue to grind. I have to continue to work, but I have to do well because I don't want to get fired. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really tough, tough, tough time for me, like in terms of just trying to get my bearings. And the same guy that recruited me became a a really close mentor. Um, My first boss um, really helped me. So he realized, I think, that I felt like there was things I probably should have picked up in college Mm -hmm. and undergrad that I was probably goofing off that I didn't know. And to not be embarrassed, I would never raise my hand in our training classes. I would kind of just... Everyone understand before I go to the next question, you know, yeah, everybody. Yeah, that's good. That's quick, easy. Everybody mm-hmm. knows answer C. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was D. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, man. And so from there, um, he said, look, every Friday I want to sit with you at five o'clock. So now somebody else. Somebody is else. Like, I'm going to say I've been you. extremely fortunate. So every Friday he would just he would just sit with me at five o'clock and he would just say, Let's talk about a topic. You pick the topic. You lead it. Now, if I'm willing, this is a very senior person, right? And so it's very impressive because he's very senior. He doesn't have to do this. And it's on a Friday. Listen, I'm going to just pause right there because I don't want somebody putting a meeting on my calendar at three o'clock on a Friday. (laughs) So the fact that he was like, after business hours, I'm going to sit and educate or talk to you about any topic you want. You've got favor on your life. That's for sure. I've definitely had favor, but... um, so I would come with topics. Some of the stuff I we would have morning meetings, investment meetings, and I would take those topics and I would bring them to me. And he would ask me a question. Do you know what this means, Chad? Mm-hmm. Do you know what an asset-backed security is? Do you know what a treasury bond is? Now, some of these things I should have known mm-hmm. in school, right? Um, I probably took a test and passed it. And um, a good portion of them I did know. I was just hesitant. And he knew it. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, I know you know this. I can tell. I can tell that's the way just how you you were hesitant to respond. And then those that I didn't know, he, he would ask. And he's like, I know you don't know it. So so tell me you I do not know it. So he would make me verbally say, I do not know. Wow. Because he says the only way you'll be able to kind of get out of that fear of like hiding and, you know, being fearful of yourself is to kind of push through. And so during the same time period, I reached back to one of my closest professors and the mentor I told you about before. And I was just kind of concerned. Like, I don't know. I'm the only, you know, historically black analyst, you know, kid who went to analyst who went to historically black college. I don't know if this is for me. And all of them said the same thing is that the only difference between your your experience at your school and person at LSU or Florida State or Harvard, or whatever, is you. The curriculum is the same. Mm-hmm. All of you had personal finance and financial statements. And so so don't feel like you had some sort of less than education, which is why I'm a super advocate for HBCUs. Um, it's just you and believe in yourself and you can do it because if you didn't couldn't do it, I wouldn't have pushed you to be in that position. So I started to get a little bit more confident in myself and continue to come to those five o'clock meetings, more prepared, more thoughtful, answering more questions, drawing, drawing on the dry erase board talking out what I knew mm-hmm. and I could see his his whole demeanor about the situation would change and he would challenge me deeper and deeper. So, you know, what is 
a stock. So tell me about a stock. Why would a person get into it? Like the questions would get deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, what is, you know, securities market line? So all these questions, you know, what are the different SAC levels in the portfolio? Like, what did you know about today? What did you think about the investment call? Where are the markets going? Like, what is your opinion? Don't just regurgitate what I'm saying. Think about it, you know, Chad, think about it. And so that challenged me. And so I continued to go and then it got to a point where it was like, no more five o'clock meetings. You're good. Wow. So, you know, between, you know, you know, this person, the support system I had, you know, coming out of college, like he challenged me. And I remember getting promoted, you know, several years ago and I called him. I cried just like, you know, the things that you taught me, I still do. Like being someone coming from that space, having a sense of, I don't know if I can compete. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm worthy. He would ask me questions. He would give me like 20 things to do in a day. And because I was an All-American, right, I just like, okay, cool. I I got you. Five o'clock comes like, hey, did you, you know, execute those trades? Did you do this? Did you do that? I'm like, oh, man, I forgot. Like, oh, man, I forgot. Like, oh, I forgot. Was this urgent? And so he said, I want you to write everything down to do objectives for today. Boom, boom, boom. Mark them off. And anything that you don't have goes to the top of the list the next day. I'm like, oh, that's so that's so junior. So you really weren't even keeping lists. I wasn't even keeping lists. Like, I just thought I was just, you know, I was great. And I like this is about being he was teaching me about becoming a professional. So from there, I did it. And same way with the five o'clock meetings. You're good. But to this day, every single morning when I get to the office, before I execute any trade, before I do anything, I write out my to do list. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, I've already wrote it the night before because it's the same thing. It's just I, I just picked up that trait, you know, and so. Those are the things that I feel like I've had and those people continue to push me. And so those are the little tidbits. Right. And so over the time, you're just building a toolbox. Over the time, you're starting to realize, like, if I take this plus this plus this, this is how you become a professional. This is how you start to set yourself apart. Right. This is how you're being thoughtful in the work that you do. But, you know, those are the experience. But it was very tough. Like, it was very, very tough. It was so I would say about the six month marker, I really started to feel confident. Mm -hmm. And I think it really started to show in my performance you know in yeah. terms of how I move forward but one thing I want to touch on is him forcing you to say I don't know because people may <laughs> think so, no. you know that's just ego right but and maybe it is but when you're coming into an environment and you're already the only or one of a few yeah. and you already feel like I'm so glad you brought that up because um you know like sometimes you, I don't you don't always remember the things mm-hmm. but I, those moments I excuse me I remember and I look at it is what we talk about now a lot more of creating a safe space. Mm-hmm. And it would just be him and I in a conference room. And he would basically say, it's just it's just the two of us. Chad. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, say you don't know. And I want you to say it out loud because therefore at that moment, now I know how I could help you. Right. Because if I kept going down the path in the way that I was doing things before, it was just masking. So if I feel like he's asking me a question and I said, yeah, I got it. And I might give a surface level response, but I technically don't really know it. Then I'm wasting my time and his mm-hmm. time because once I get, quote unquote, back out there, I'm just going to continue to do the same thing. And, and it's really I'm not growing. And so I felt like looking back on it, it was my opportunity to grow. It was For my sure. opportunity to grow and to really almost release like it's OK, you know, um, and he understood And he was an Italian guy, you know, he was an Italian guy that really took 
um, it really took to me as well, you know, and he just continued to give me the tools to try to be successful. And it got to a point to where I was in a rotational program. I was supposed to have only done nine months. Mm -hmm. I really, you know, that last, you know, three or four months, I knocked it out the park. He requested my extension for another nine months. And he was like, I can't find anybody to replace you. The work that you're doing, how you're doing, how you're engaging with our, our, you know, the overall team has been great. I need you. And when it came time after the next nine months where I was graduating from the program and placing full time, he advocated for me Mm -hmm. to get, you know, my my next position. So those are the things. And so you learn from it. Like, you know, those people don't do that just because they don't do those things if you're not performing. Right. And it's one thing that your story has highlighted is that there may be some knowledge gaps and not because the curriculum wasn't there. Like you mm-hmm. said, it was there. You just were not completely tuned in. And sometimes filling that filling that knowledge gap, or really all the time, is going to require more work on your part. And so yeah. you, you may have a full day and now you've got to do the work to build up your acumen because that didn't happen when it when it should have yeah. earlier. No, exactly. And I tell people, I tell this people to this day, even now I'm studying for a certification. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like it was before it might have been a knowledge gap but it's like I'm consistently looking to continue to build and to grow and I've asked all of my mentors like each person that I sit down with each person that I I even want to talk to one of the first questions I ask them is what book are you reading it could be spiritual it could be motivational it could be you know industry related but I want to know these people that I look up to I don't look up to them just because it's for some sort of reason I may want to be like them one day I may want to have you know model my practice like them or I just love their energy I love what they're doing in the community I want to fill my mind with the things that they're thinking about and so maybe I can take a couple tidbits from that and so those are the things too I tell people all the time is like you have to continuously learn Mm -hmm. and those are the things that if you ask you know the to so-called successful people, they're constantly learning. Always. They're always learning. They're always reading. They're always growing. They're always getting a certification. You know, I just like, well, how many more degrees? How many more <laughs> letters after your name do you really need? But at the end of the day, it's like you're constantly learning. And whatever that looks like for you, um, that's totally fine. But you never want to be in a situation to where it's just like, whatever. Like, right. I'm good. I'm there. I've made it. Um, You know, you always want to be constantly growing and learning and, you know, expanding yourself and so that's that's where I am now but I tell people it's okay if there is a knowledge gap Mm -hmm. just understand it and do something with it like take some action towards it I definitely want to get into the next chapter that you moved into uh, from there but I have to ask first when in those environments, people always ask, where'd you go to school? Oh, where'd you go to school? Did you get the perplexed looks when you said Southern? Did I get them? <laughs> Girl, <laughs> I did. Well, oh, Southern, LSU, right? Mm, oh, you went no. to LSU. No, I went to Southern University, which is on the other side of Baton Rouge. No, like I went to this school, you know? Some people would do, you know, ask that question out of sheer just oblivion like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I never heard you know that's cool some people will try to throw some shade mm-hmm. like you know like oh do you know like do you know did y'all learn this did y'all learn this did had you heard this before like like we're literally in a meeting and you're <laughs> so why are you asking me right did you ask the kid that went to Hofstra right did you ask the kid that went to Syracuse did you ask the, the girl that went to Michigan but you asked the kid, they went to Southern. So then a, por- a part of that started to piss me off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I became, so then I, I asked, and so I'm, I'm actually glad you brought this up. Because then I asked my, one of my mentors, it was like, how do I 
get my school to become a target school in recruiting? And they said, Chad, I'm glad you asked that question. But in order for it to happen, you have to be kind of the guiding light. You have to set the tone. You have to be the reason. So the first couple of years I recruited at my school on my own dime. Really? So spent your own money to go back and... Took my own vacation, took my own time, personal time, traveled, paid my own flights, brought my own materials. I would reach out to the, you know, quote unquote, recruiting department. I'd say, hey, I'm going to my school. Like, oh, what school is that? Oh, we don't have them on the list. No, we we can't go. Um, Spent my own money and was very, very, you know, upfront, preparing, like understanding, you know, and it comes back full circle, understanding that what I went through. So my last couple of years, I didn't really say this, but my last year, I took 24 hours wow. because I was on the verge. I needed this class since I was trying to double major. I had this, I got the offer, but I needed to graduate. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, because I didn't know, I was like, oh, if I don't get the offer, I'll just stay an extra semester. God, I know like, well, you're going to have to double up. So I was just doing all this and, and a lot of it because I goofed off some of it early, early in my college career. So I came back with vengeance, like, don't do what I did. Take the time. I'm the perfect example of someone who wasn't a straight A student. A lot of people feel like, oh, I'm not a straight A student, right? I was an A, I was a B, maybe a C mm-hmm. here and there. And even maybe I, you know, I, I I didn't even get a D. I got an F in, in personal finance. In personal finance. In personal finance. You know why? Nothing to do with the coursework. Work, hundreds across the board. I decided to skip an exam. Oh, gosh. And my teacher failed me on purpose. Well, she's my favorite teacher because it, she, those are some of the catalyst moments where you have to go through the failure to understand, like just a wake up call. So she failed me. So I came back, like, don't do all these things that I did. Start early, stay focused. Found a couple of really bright students and really like coached them, like, really would like take the time, come to my, you know, Come with me when I'm here. Come, you know, I really sat with them and they got offers. They got offers and they went on to do well. And then they started to bring in people. So, you know, a lot of it, you know, I was pissed off. And, you know, I just want to really highlight this and provide context for people who don't work in corporate spaces. Recruiting is an orchestrated thing. Very orchestrated. It's It goes by timelines and seasons and budgets. And you put pluck people from departments mm-hmm. um, who come and they go to these campus recruitment events. And, you know, you got the all the paraphernalia mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the brochures the, and the yeah, schedule, interview your, schedules, etc. Yeah, you got your nice tablecloth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the branded materials, all of that. You're given a, a budget for this. And then also, even from a diversity perspective, there are targeted programs to bring in diversity pipeline initiatives, but that's all orchestrated as well. Yeah. For some, for so for an employee to be like, nope, I'm recruiting at my school and I'm going to spend my own money. I'm going to put my own materials together and I'm going to coach these kids into applying and interviewing and hopefully getting an offer. That is unheard of, <laughs> especially when you know how much money your employer has. It, right. And that was, you know, and I think a lot of it was because I was pissed off. A lot of it was from drive. A lot of it was because of those stories and those people telling me like, you have to be the change, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to see um, what you want and then help them to understand, help them to see the value. And so I spent a lot of time. I got on the advisory board for my business school and I was very transparent um, in terms of what I wanted our particularly the finance department to, to, to look like and the opportunities that were there. Right. And, you know, the, out of my it was like eight of us. Right. Who you know, who've gone on. They graduated the year that I did. We, you know, the top investment banks and we all were very close. And it was like some sort of anomaly. It was that nobody's like, oh, the university was like, oh, this is great. Like, wow. Now it's a common thing. You know, no one had came to New York before I, I did. I was the first person within my finance program to get here. And so now we, we you know, 
that's 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 nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, people are coming, people are going to, you know, one of my mentees, she's just landed at Goldman Sachs. Wow. She's the first Southern University graduate to go to Goldman Sachs right out of school. That's but powerful. I did helped her too. We talked about it. We we you know, we she had an opportunity to go elsewhere and got some great offers, but she wanted to be the best too. And we talked about this. And so so at the end of the day, you know, eventually they decided they came on board and they you know, they gave us some dollars and so on and so forth. And I understand, you know, like you can't throw money everywhere, but I wanted to show them that we had well capable and talented students too. That just speaks to your character and yeah. how when you talk about your commitment to community and generational wealth, it's not just talk. Like you're walking this, you're yeah. walking the walk. And, you know, I didn't understand it. I didn't see it. And I think it was just what was given to me. I try to give back. Mm-hmm. And I think the circles that I've been in that I've been fortunate to be in, um, I want others to see that. And I want others to experience that. Right. And I don't, it's not that we can't. Some of it is just we just don't have the exposure and knowledge. And what a person has the exposure and knowledge and they don't do, then that's on them. One of my college professors used to say this all the time. And he would come into class the first day and he would draw a big O on the board. And he would just take, he would literally, sometimes I've gone to his class and just, we would time and he would draw the big O and go sit in the back of class mm-hmm. and tell the class to figure it out. And I mean, you have, that's a, that's a really engaging way to start this the semester, right? And we were just like, what is, what is this, what is he trying to say? Oblivious. Most uh-huh. of you are oblivious. How many people read the paper? How many people actually know what's going on outside of, we call the hump, which we have to drive over this big hump to get to our campus? Who knows what's going on across the hump? So he said, you don't know. So you're oblivious. So now that you know, if you come in here knowing and you're still not doing, then there's a problem. And so what I try to do is give people the information, give people to knowledge, um, to give people the exposure the best way that I know how. So no one can ever say I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So never get that cop out. And even when my career, when I had faced adversity in the sense of opportunities, oh, you don't have the proper training. Oh, you don't have the certain designation. Okay. From the way that I was raised, the way that my character, the way that I grind, the way that I push through, I go get it. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going to come back to you and say, I'm going to knock on the door and I'll tell you I got it. So if I don't get the opportunity, what's the real reason I didn't get it in the first place? So I tell people, you always want to push people in the corners. Because once you get them in the corner, at that corner, they're going to really tell you the real reason why For you're not sure. getting an opportunity. So so the thing is, if you don't have a certification, if you don't have you know a certain degree, if you don't have a little bit of experience, go get it. Go do whatever it requires to get it. And then when you go back, if you're not afforded that opportunity within reason, then you need to push harder to question why you're not getting it. And mm-hmm. particularly within my industry, right, there's only a few black people. So I would always question. No one wanted to be pushed to that corner to, to be able to be exposed. Like, what well, only reason you didn't get it because you were black? Because if I am just as qualified and I have the certifications, I have the degrees and I have the experience, but I didn't get it, but this other person did, then what's the real reason? And I tell people, right, you know, you have to be aggressive. For in sure. a lot of these industries, not just in finances, but a lot of people where, where it is underrepresentation of black people, underrepresentation of people of color like you. So so my thing is a lot of times that people people of color, black folks is known to complain. Like we complain, I didn't get an opportunity. And I, okay, fine. Go do what you need to do. And once, so that's when I come at people, I come hard and heavy because if I've done my homework and if I've done everything I'm supposed to do, then somebody has to do some explaining. But if not, 
then go do it. For sure. Don't don't cause a scene. Don't be don't be upset. Don't be a you know if you're not the qualified person, the most qualified person, then it's okay. Then you know go do what you need to do. But I always felt that. You know, and someone taught me that too. question everything for sure. And I think it's important to highlight, you know, one thing we haven't touched on is that our counterparts, our white counterparts will get the opportunity without being fully qualified in certain instances. Yeah. So, we're, you know, I'm not discounting the fact that we have to have you have to have like 110 percent of what's required. <laughs> you do. And that's a difficult pill to swallow often. But that is the reality that we're dealing with. You know, it's rare that we are given a, a position to usher into if we don't check every single box. Yeah. And that's another thing I tell people, too. Because of that, I've always been that much more aggressive with my relationships mm-hmm. and my network. So I don't meet people just to meet people just to say I know their names. I meet them with a purpose and a true intention to build with them. Right. And so create opportunities understand how you can be a value add to that person because you never know like what opportunity they may give. But if I know something and if I know I want something too, I'm going to tell you that I want it. Right. And it may, it may not be that I'm ready for it now, but I'm letting you know. So when I come at you that you are well aware that this is what, what Chad wants and Chad is prepared for it and Chad understands it. So let me create an opportunity for him. Right. You have to be aggressive in that, in that regards. Right. Because, you know, sometimes it is just a relationship. And I understood that I, I could be as qualified as the next, but the only reason I didn't get it is because I didn't know this lady mm-hmm. and this person did. So I'm going to go find, I'm going to make sure that she knows who I am. For sure. And it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to do that. People ask me, I was like, how do you know these people? I'll end with this on this particular part in the sense of one of the times when I was in wealth management, the CEO of the wealth management division at the bank that I was at, um, just to show you how direct I was when I was in undergrad, my last my last year, um, I was afforded an opportunity. But technically, I shouldn't have been on this call. It's only for employees only. Mm-hmm. But I was able to find a way to get a number to dial in <laughs> to listen to the market commentary. You ear hustled, I uh, ear hustled. a call. <laughs> I ear hustled the heck out of this call. Right. For weeks. And once I got my offer to right to move to 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 New York and I knew I was going to be here and I was going to be working in that division, I emailed her and I told her like, hey, I appreciate everything. I used to listen to the call and she was like, oh, my God, this is great. So I had an opportunity. I got on the elevator one day and she was there and everybody was so amazed. Right. With her being on the elevator with us. Right. And I knew she had a thing for shoes. Growing up in a household with sisters, I learned a thing or two about shoes. <laughs> you know right? a little bit. So I looked down and she had a beautiful pair of high heels on and I gave her a compliment. Which and, is risky which is in very, corporate environments. Which is very risky. You know, a little bit more risky now than it mm-hmm. was a couple of years back. But I gave her a compliment and I just told her I loved some of the things that she I knew she was actively working on at the bank, like mm-hmm. her project. And she was like, oh, my God, I didn't know you know that. What's your name? And then we started a conversation as we walked off the elevator. I told her about me. I learned about her. Hey, let me know if you ever need anything. Let me know if you ever have an interest in X, Y, and Z. And she's the CEO. By the time I did a beeline back to my desk, the whole elevator of people <laughs> I knew were waiting for me. Like, how did you know her? I was like, I didn't know her until this moment. Mm-hmm. But I've always been that kind of person in the sense of preparing for this, right? Let me do my research behind her because, and I told her, like, remember that letter, that email you got, you know, a couple, a couple years back? about That was me. She remembered. Wow. So she was able to tie the two together. So that just goes, like, in terms of, like, you, you, it's one thing to want something, but you have to do the homework and you have to prepare to go get it, right? And I never wanted to be the guy who was just given something. Mm-hmm. So if I'm ever going to a meeting with someone that's senior or someone 
someone that quote unquote of status, I try to prepare and I try to be as thoughtful as I can, because at the end of the day, like someone of that status told me they are human beings as well. And they actually hate when people put them on some sort of elevated pedal. They want to talk to a person normal Mm -hmm. and they feel some type of way when you don't do that. Now, they don't really tell you that in public. If you have thoughtful conversations, they they always say, you know, I really appreciate this conversation. It's not like you're trying to get something from me. It's, like just I just, it's just a conversation and I try to build with people accordingly. And so when those opportunities come, when you do need something, they will always remember how thoughtful you were. And so I look at it in terms of like, if you always lead with your heart and you always are thoughtful and you always go with the sense of, I want something from this person. Mm-hmm. I truly do. But what can I give them? For sure. What can I add? Even at the most junior level, what can I add? What kind of value? What can I do? What can I show them that I'm serious? And I think people will start to kind of take heed to that. And then they will kind of in in kind and in turn try to do things to help you because then they'll realize, oh, I didn't realize how senior I was. Right. And I've talked about this on an early episode of the show that no matter what level you're at in comparison to where they they are, there's always something you can add to them. It may not reveal itself immediately, but look for those opportunities to provide value, even maybe before they provide it to you. Oh, that's always going to be the case Mm -hmm. if you're looking up. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So um, it it may take a while to figure out what that thing is, but um, it's and oftentimes they're very grateful, even if it's a minor, you know, push that you're giving them or some type of small give. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and that's what I've experienced, too. It's the same. For sure. So shifting gears, you eventually left uh, a big bank and yeah. went into went in another direction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it was one of those things to where you kind of start to evaluate your career, some of the things you've done, some of the things you like, some of the things you dislike. And, and really what it boiled down to is that um, I, I want to be and I wanted to be in the best position to help people the best way that I know how. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, unfortunately, when you're at a large institution, you're kind of constrained a little bit to do certain do things a certain way. Um, And sometimes it goes against you, what you what you truly believe. Right. And you can only do that for so long. Right. And so I kind of looked at my career like, hey, I've been on Wall Street for over a decade. Like I've had my time. I've had my experience. Um, I know I have relationships. Um, I think I need to go in a different direction and not kind of be kind of handicapped or pigeonholed to a certain position or a certain. Oh, oh, you got to do this first to do this. Like, or you can't do this. You can't. I was like, I was tired of that. That's a risky move, right? Because it's one of those things where, you know, I think it kind of go, I had counsel. And one of the things that I did with my career, I would say maybe five years ago, was that I created, I have a, a personal advisory board. And I always encourage people to do that. I have people on my personal advisory board or personal advisory council, whatever you may call it, is people who are in my industry and people who are not. Mm-hmm. People who are essentially sponsors and people who are mentors, right? Because how you talk to your mentors may be completely different how you talk to a sponsor. Absolutely. Right? And so understanding that. And so before I made the decision, I went to, to, to my, my council and to sum it up, they were very supportive. Right. And it was a risk, right? Because I had been at this institution my entire career. Um, so people equity, you know, relationships. It was tough. Like you're comfortable, but it was a belief in myself and what I wanted to do and the relationships. I had a full faith that, you know, I don't know when it will pop. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much success I will have out the gate, but I I have enough belief in myself um, and enough drive that I I would do it. So I took that leap of faith. I decided to leave. Um, It was tough, but I landed and 
I had immediate success. Um, and I think it all came down to my ability to connect with people. The one thing is particularly within the wealth management space, not necessarily investment banking or some of the other core features of uh, core finance is it's relationship driven. You're asking people to trust you. Right. Right. And so you have to connect with people. You can't be a surface level person. You have to understand people's wants, needs and fears. Right. This is the last, you know, one of my aunts told me this is the last bit of money I got, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I can't tell you not to lose it, but I'm telling you not to lose it. You know, like this is it. You know, I, I you know, so you have to understand their fears. Like you really, so that takes time. You got to get in. You got to understand. You got to dissect. You got to really connect with them. Put yourself in their shoes. You know, some advisors don't want to do that, but it's something that I love, right? Because I've been able to do it my entire life. And so from that, it was like, you know what? I love to do it. Let me go and do it. Let me go and help people that I want to help. Now I don't have the sense of, oversight to say you can or can't help this person because there's some sort of income threshold or asset threshold, right? You know, I'm thoughtful in the sense of the clients and people that I try to work with. And so I feel like where I can add the most value, but I try to even give the tidbits for people that I feel like they may, I may not be the best fit for them now, but here are some things to do. So, you know, I had the success because I think I was able to connect with people and I was able to understand the situation from the everyday person trying to make it, trying to, you know, not rob Peter to pay Paul all the way to the multimillionaires from my experience experience on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So because so that's why I tell people like I can't take my experience for granted because that's how I'm able to do what I'm able to do now is from that exposure. And so unlike some others who only work with certain people, I feel like I can handle anybody that comes my way. Right. And so um, but at the end of the day, it's all because of the relationships for that sure. I've been able to, to, to build and really just to connect with people. And the situation you're in now professionally is not just vastly different in terms of size. It's different in terms of racial makeup as well. Yeah, buddy. So from a cultural, <laughs> corporate cultural perspective, how has that uh, affected your career? It's it's actually kind of given me that drive that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very motivated and very driven, but it's kind of given me that extra gear in the sense of I work for a a, you know, an independent firm, an independent wealth management firm. So a registered investment advisor. So we're not tied to any large bank. Right. So we're going to do what we see fit for our clients. And, you know, we are minority owned. Now, the beauty about our firm is in the sense of that we all have experience across Wall Street. So from the largest banks, right, Goldman, Merrill Lynch, J.P. Morgan, we have international you know, exposure, Morgan Stanley, you name it, right? And so when we step into a room, you know, there is no one else that looks like us from a diversity standpoint, right? You might catch a black advisor. Um, he or she may work for a large institution, mm -hmm. but they're not technically running their own firm that has the reach or managing the amount of assets that we're doing. So we're considered an anomaly in which we're doing. But at the end of the day, I always ask people, you know, what's the reason why you decided to go with us over a larger institution is I feel comfortable with you guys. You know, I felt comfortable. I felt like you really tried to educate me as a client. Um, and those are some of the things that we really try to really set ourselves apart on is we're extremely smart. Mm -hmm. But I tell people all the time, like, I want to invest your money. I want to create you a financial plan. And then once we're done, I want to 
eat some fried chicken. Or collard greens or something. Some collard greens <laughs> or sweet potatoes, like, you know, or, or, or grab a beer or a glass of wine or, you know, tell me about your kids play. Like, I, I you know, I tell people like that, how you build true relationships with people. It's not about dollars and cents. Those things come, but people need to trust you. People need to know that you have a sense of understanding that the money that I'm giving you is for my two-year-old's college or that this is I'm trying to build for retirement or I want to start my own business. So I need you to understand like how important this is for me. So you will do. And so our job as advisors is to essentially put ourselves in your shoes. So we, 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 we work and service as if we were you, right? And so I don't know if you're going to always get that same level of attention and service and understanding and education at some of the other institutions, right? And they're all great, but they're all great people there. But those are the things that we strive. And so we just kind of looked at the way the industry was going, the things that we loved during our experience on Wall Street and the things that we hated that we, we just unfortunately couldn't change, right? And we said, this is how we want to build and mold our firm. And because we are a minority owned firm, right? Very diverse. Um, we connect with people differently. Of course. Right. And so there's been so many times where people would reach out and says, wow, I didn't know you guys, any institution like this existed. For sure. At this level. And I... I want to highlight, even though it's not all about the dollars and cents and it's about the soft skills, but, you know, we had a conversation about the assets that you, you guys have under management and the shock and awe that folks <laughs> yeah. have, you know, based on what you've been able to achieve. Yeah, we've been extremely fortunate as a firm. I mean, you know, Alan Boomer, who is our, our CEO and, you know, and found one of the founding partners, like, you know, he has a great story, you know, in terms of what he saw and what made drove him to start the firm. But, you know, you're talking about a firm that's been in, in inception since 2012. Mm-hmm. that started with, you know, under 20 million, you know, in, in an investment world that's considered small. You know, he had a goal, he had a dream. And so, and then the other partners came on board with their goals and dreams. And now, you know, you're looking at, you know, a couple of years later, you know, we're managing over a hundred and $75 million, Which right? Which is, if you know anything <laughs> about the finance world, right. that is impressive. You know, and that's just what we have in terms of, I would say, you know, true individual assets under management. And then we've been fortunate enough to, you know, have an institutional arm in which we're working with foundations and endowments, mm-hmm. right? You know, retirement plans, and that's another $450 million. So you're looking at, you know, a minority-owned firm that's, you know, basically managing or in supervising over $600 million. I'm just going, we're on, we on a <laughs> podcast, but I'm clapping anyway. And so is everyone else in the room. <laughs> and so, you know, and I think a lot of prayer, a lot of understanding, a lot of compassion, a lot of drive, a lot of accountability to each other, you know, we, you know, is, is a big push. And, you know, we're just getting started. You know, we've been fortunate to be highlighted on, the cover of Financial Planning Magazine because of some of the things that, you know, our partners are doing, you know, so we cover the gamut and we and we talk to what we know. So the firm was built basically based off experience. Mm -hmm. Some were strong in asset management, traditional wealth management and investment. Some were strong in terms of insurance. Some were strong in institutional. We have international. And so we took those and it's all relationships. Everyone at the firm is came on board because we were connected in some way. Right. We were thoughtful of the people we brought on. And so now things are really taking off and our exposure and our reach and the things that we're doing. We're just exposing the finance world. We're trying to tear it up. We're trying to tear Clearly. it up, trying to tear it up is <laughs> because we care. We, we're trying to tear it up with passion. We're 
trying to tear it up with thoughtfulness. We're trying to tear it up with education. We're trying to basically put a spotlight on wealth management, right? To tell people like, hey, you know, you can do this, right? You can get to here, right? This is what other people are doing. These are different strategies. This is understanding your situation, right? And so when I saw that, that just spoke to me as an individual. It spoke to me in terms of my desire. And I would tell you this, and I know our CEO would probably laugh because he knows it's true. Even during my interview process, I told him, look, if you don't hire me, it doesn't matter because either I'm going to do this with you or I'm going to do this against you. So so either we do this together and be a part of the same movement or we compete. And so we kind of joked about it and we laughed and obviously I came on board. But, you know, um, it's a family and we treat each other as a family. Right. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it. And everyone has their passion, but everyone has had their fail- failures, too. Sure. And so that was one of the things that I was appreciative of is like we talk about talk about your failures. We don't really do that because when, you, when I learn about your failures, I really learn about you as an individual. How did you come out of that? Or as the young folks say, how did I come out of the mud? Like, how did I get out of this? Right. People need a sense of direction. Everyone is going to fall. And I was talking to someone in my family about this is I feel like God gives you hard and difficult obstacles and different things that you go and you go through in your life, not to punish you, but one to lean on him. But also to the next thing is to is to allow you to come through it to be able to testify and to encourage the next person who you may not know, but through you speaking it can get a sense of, oh, I'm not the only one. Absolutely. Right. And so that's why I talk about my failures and my struggles and my crying and could I compete? Am I worthy enough? Right. Because I know there's another person. I know there's another professional. I know there's another young person that's wondering, sitting in that HBCU seat, like, I'm about to go in here and interview my lonely black girl. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm about to go in here and interview, right? And am I going to get promoted? Like, are they going to pay me dollar for dollar or cents to cents, right? And so know your worth and just know not to think less of yourself. And so through my struggles, through my understanding, like, I get it now. And so one of the things that I'm very happy about is, too, is, you know, to like we kind of talked alluded to earlier, people are amazed about the amount of money that we've been able to manage within a short period of time. And some people will be like, when they see us or we talk or we go to conferences, oh, you guys manage 20 million or 30 million, right? When we tell them, like, <laughs> they're like, oh, wow. Not exactly. You know, and you realize they're like, oh, at 35, you're like, man, like, no, we can compete. And, I, and that drives us, right? Because we know we have to be that much more prepared, that much more thoughtful. And so we've been extremely fortunate to compete and win business away from some of our own former employers. Right. And I think that just speaks to the level in terms of our you know, experience and level in terms of our education, but also in terms of wanting to knowing that we can compete For sure. and, and, and go after that. And so I'm very happy and I'm very excited about, you know, what, what Momentum Advisors are doing and the direction that we're going. And, and, and I think just the passion that we have to help our clients. Yeah. And you spoke to something that's a great lead in. You talked about the importance of sharing your failures as well. Perfect mm-hmm. time to ask the question. <laughs> Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Wow. I mean, I feel like I've had so, so many of those moments. Um, There was a particular time that I was working on a client's account. And basically, this particular client loved the work, loved everything that he and his family were receiving, um, but came to New York, had a meeting, realized that I was black. So he did not get that. No, he did not get that from other correspondents or um, through our initial conversations and said a couple racist things. 
Really? Yeah. Not to me directly, but to some support. And it was very hurtful. And it kind of it kind of put me in a moment like, of what do you do in this professional sense? You might know what to do on the street. You might know what to do coming up. You might handle things a little bit differently. But what do you do in your professional realm? Um, do I how do I push through? And so one of the things that I think for me and what I did was let me really show him. Mm-hmm. Let me try. Let me show him what he's not understanding. Let me show him him and his family what they're missing and what I am and what our people are capable of doing. And so I felt like rather than to kind of retreat and kind of be upset, to be angry, I got pissed off again (laughs) and really had to push through and service, go above and beyond, execute. And you could almost to sometimes hear the sense of grit when the successful things continuously (laughs) happen. Almost like they were waiting for a failure. Like, oh, you did get this done? Like, dang it. Like, almost, you can almost hear it. Like, (laughs) I thought we had a moment where we can catch you up. But, you know, I think the old me would have made a big fuss about it and just kind of threw my arms like, I don't want to deal with this. Take me off the account. Like, I don't have time for this. But I think understanding the bigger picture, understanding that some people are so close-minded, some people will never get it. But let me show Let me show this person what they're missing out, what they will miss out on. Let me show this person like, you know, the level of sophistication, the level of intent that myself and my people have and how you're going to miss me when when I'm gone. And it was impressive because after it was all said and done, like it was just great rave reviews. Um, People still talk about it. Um, and I think it just continues to add the little bit of fuel that I get that I can kind of always reflect back on when I are going through difficult moments. Um, people are kind of second guessing or questioning or I'm questioning myself. Um, I can kind of just look at those times, but you know, it was very difficult. It was hard, um, to be able to do that, you know, um, and still, kind of keep a level head. And this is why it's important to us on this show to highlight these stories because finance is hard. Client service is not easy, but there's an added layer of difficulty when you look like us. And we don't shy away from those topics. I mean, our position on the show is that we acknowledge them, but we talk about how we've overcome them because we can commiserate and be angry. That's not changing anything. So we have to navigate those waters and it's unfortunate and it's unfair, but it is our reality. Yeah, and I think people need to understand is like I think the perception is that we will cave mm-hmm. and that we will be belligerent or we will give up or we will kind of do something to hurt our chances of promotion or being or even being fired. Right. Like, oh, so I think just to understand just like the situation and you know what, let me let me prove this person. <laughs> let me prove them wrong. And I think it's the same mentality that I've always had when I was told no to something. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't do this or you don't have this. Okay, let me go get this. Let me go do this. So I can come back and really combat this because I think a lot of times is I think we as black people, we kind of get into those moments and we don't have the, the right tools. We kind of right. like stuck. Like we're like, I want to say something. I want to do something like how can I overcome the situation and you don't have the right tools. And so you just kind of falter. And so what I feel like I realize and what I try to t- tell people to my peers and, and even my you know people that I try to mentor is don't get upset. 
push through it. You know, I have a mentee right now. He just moved to New York, working at a very large asset firm. And I gave him the heads up. I felt like he was going to be the he's he is the only black person in his analyst class. He's extremely smart. And I told him, like, some of the difficulties he might run into, not just with his employers, but also his peers. And we just had a conversation last week. And he said, man, I know you told me this. And I was fully expecting it. But it's one thing to to expect it and hear it. But now I'm I'm really in the thick of it. Yes. And so, you know. He loves his job and everything is going well. And I said, look, don't let someone else ruin your experience. Don't let other people like these people are going to come and go outside of your life. You know, know what you like, know what you want to do and continue to push forward. You know, stay focused. Right. Talk to those who you need, who you need to talk to. But at the end of the day, like you'll come out on top. And so he was just talking about how helpful that had been for him. But at the end of the day, like I think, you know, several industries, right, we're going to run into resistance. I just want people to understand is like it's it's going to be there, but you just have to be prepared when it happens. And if it happens and you're not prepared, just go get prepared. But I think those are the very frank conversations, because especially being in, you know, New York, like the city can be very difficult. So you have added layers. You have the difficulties at your job and then you have the city on top of that. Right. Just a sure concrete jungle and the grit and the grind of the city. It's a beautiful place. It's a great place to be. A lot of great opportunities. But if you're depressed, if you're down, if you're second guessing yourself, if you're you not really have a sense of direction and passion then you add a, a crazy city like New York on it's top of that. It's just going to shine a spotlight on all those things. The city will beat you down. And so I think, you know, you always have to be supportive. You always have to be, you know, compassionate and, and things like that. But um, I, I, you just have, I think we just have to be prepared. Well, you've dropped a lot of nuggets <laughs> in this, this conversation. And if you bring this much just to a podcast uh, interview, I can't imagine what all you bring to your clients. So tell people where they can find you online if they want to talk about their finances and all the services that you offer. Yeah. So, I mean, you can definitely check out our website, um, momentum-advisors.com. Um, we also have a, a serious XM radio show every Sunday at 11 o'clock. It's just called on channel 126, um, Momentum Advisors. Um, there we talk everything finance, personal finance. We also talk entrepreneurship. It's obviously it's a, it's a hot topic and it's something that we're also encouraging our clients and, and you know, and people just in general to, to consider if it makes sense um, for you. Um, or you can just send me an email at, at Chadwick at Momentum-Advisors.com. I was going to ask if your name was actually Chadwick. My name is actually Chadwick. <laughs> yes. So the story about that is, is um, I went, I go by Chad for those who, who really know me. But the reason I really start going by Chadwick in New York is because on the very first team that I was placed on, there was a Chadwick. There was a Chad. So, so they would call Chad. So it was the only way to distinguish. And then, you know, my mom would like, I named you Chadwick. So please go by your name. You sound like you're from like Greenwich somewhere with the <laughs> Chadwick. It can't hurt. Yeah. And, it doesn't, and then my middle name is William. So people would tease me. So Chadwick Williams sounds royal. So, um, so people would always tease me about that. But yeah, I always tell people, you know, to check us out. You know, we, we try to help as many people as we can. We do um, complimentary analysis and, and, and phone calls and introductory calls and stuff like that. So it's just a great place. You know, we're all, we help clients all over the country. Folks, get your money right. Even <laughs> if you feel like you're not prepared to have the conversation, explore, mm-hmm. see what's out there, um, because we all have to start somewhere. And having the conversation is a good place to start. Yes, definitely. For sure. Um, and remember also to like, share this episode if you've enjoyed it, comment, all the whole nine, all that great stuff. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.